You know, in this quarantine stuff, I miss Michael Buffer. He's a person who brings great joy to my life, and with this virus around, I don't get to enjoy him. Now, many of you probably don't know who Michael Buffer is, but you have heard him. He's the let's get ready to rumble guy who announces MMA and boxing, soccer, all sorts of sporting events. And Michael Buffer is always there to introduce the big ones. He has this great voice for sure, but one, one of the ways that he makes every event special is how he introduces the competitors. He, he lists their accomplishments, as it were. You know, He goes through their records, their wins, their losses, their titles where they're from, and, and how we know them, all their nicknames and everything else. It's really something special when he does it. I mean, it sounds pretty boring probably as I describe it, but, but he has a way of really making it exciting. It, 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 and, and as I read Paul's text today, as we read it just a moment ago, Paul is excited about Jesus the same way. You can hear it in the passion in his words, even as we recite a translation. I've told you before about a lady from my home church on Ken Island, uh, Mrs. Phyllis is what we called her. She was one of the church matriarchs there. She'd just walk around the halls of the church praising God, right? Singing, praying. I mean, you could hear her all the time. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Lord, help them. Bless them, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I mean, all the time. All the, I mean, she lived her life in appreciation because of her relationship with Jesus. She was constantly, constantly in awe of him and his love. That's what I hoped would, would begin to take root in us as, as we prayed this week. That prayer that I invited you to pray together, you know. I'm going to include it again this week, and, and it'll be here. But it's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, where Paul wrote these words. He said, Fill me with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that I may walk worthy of of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all power according to his, your glorious might, God, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's enabled me to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. He has rescued me from the dominion of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I have redemption the forgiveness of sins in him. I hope you found that praying that prayer this week for yourself was beneficial. It was for me. Scripture says that we don't, we don't, we don't have because we don't ask. So, so asking for a full awareness of his will in our lives is a, it's a great thing to ask for. The power to endure the joy of Christ for living. Now, you may have struggled with this prayer this week. I think a lot of times, Prayer, like other parts of our walk with Jesus, can, can get hard. I mean, we get tired. It's, it's not that we don't want to. It's just that we don't feel compelled to. I mean, we, we lose interest and they become a struggle. It happens when we compartmentalize our lives, I think. This is a place we worship and pray. This is a time where we worship and pray. This is a place to work. This is a spiritual time and this is work time. This is family time. That's part of the problem that the, the church in Colossae had, that they were being taught that, that there was a, a church time, there was a God time, there was a thing of God, and there was a thing for everything else. It's also one that we fall into here today. It's where we see the whole world is bifurcated. You know, It's split into two. There's a spiritual life and there's a physical life. I mean, we, we do it rapidly with music. There's spiritual music and there's secular music. 
We worship on Sunday, but not on Friday. Paul is writing to correct this way of thinking, and he begins with a passionate account of just who Jesus is. It's this Jesus that Paul introduces. Again, in, in verses 15 to 23. And it's, it's, it's exciting. I, I can almost hear it, Michael Buffer's voice reading it as we read it here together here. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I can hear it now. The crowd goes wild. I think we all know that we want to know that Jesus. That, that Jesus inspires. That Jesus continually shapes our living, guides us step by step. We follow that Jesus. I want to spend a few minutes today talking about that Jesus. Now, I don't want to over-explain it. I want us to be able to sit and marvel at the greatness. I mean, that's how Paul described him, not scientifically, but relationally. How he relates to creation, how he relates to the church, how he relates to us so that we can get lost in him. The first one, Jesus is enough in creation. Paul is writing in response to some false teachers there in Colossae. It seems that there was some disagreement about the source of creation, and Paul's writing to straighten that out. See, in most pagan religions, the physical world is considered evil and bad, and the spiritual world is good. The farther away God is from the more holy he is, right? So there's no way that a true God, holy as he is, could ever come and interact with creation. Therefore, the pagans would argue, and even some religions today, that Jesus could not have been really God. He was some sort of emissary for God. And to that sort of thinking, Paul says, not at all. God chose to create through his Son. He is the Lord of creation, you see? He's the Lord of creation. He's the only thing to be worshipped. He's greater than wealth, sex, power, sports, key lime pie, steamed crabs, or smoked barbecue. I mean, these things and many others in our world are, are, are good to enjoy, to appreciate, even marvel at. We have a couple of woodpeckers who come to our backyard and are bird feeder. I could watch them for hours. It's just they're so funny to watch. When baseball starts back up, hopefully in a few weeks, we'll all appreciate watching it. Even the Orioles. And on the, on the bright side, you know, the season might be shorter and they may actually do better this year. Uh, but all these things are meant to enjoy, but not to be worshipped. As Paul wrote in Romans 1, that, that we are made to know him and to worship him, not the created things. Jesus is the creator that's to be worshipped. See, the false teachers in Colossae, they were, they were very interested, apparently, in the way that Paul wrote here, in the, in the work of, of spiritual forces in the world. And Paul says that Jesus 
is in control of them as well. The visible and the invisible, everything in creation is under his authority. Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation. He's the supreme Lord of creation. Jesus created and remains in charge, holding everything together. Jesus is enough to sustain this world, even though we may not think it so. Holding, he holds it together because it all points to him and it is for him. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The scripture tells us everything you see created, even, even we are created for him. So our salvation, you see, isn't to be seen as, as rescuing us out of an evil world, but an act of God to reclaim everything that rightly belongs to him and him alone. Even, you see, when we are saved, we actually become more human, not less. We, we become more of what God intended us to be in creation. So as we walk with Jesus, as we come to work with Christ, transforming the world back towards God's original intent. So when we're saved and we get involved in the world, see, the world begins to experience a reconciliation that we experienced. The government, the economy, social, political, everything about this world begins to be reshaped by Jesus. There is nothing out of reach. No marriage, no relationship, no corner, no back alley, no home, no career. Nothing is too far, too dark, too broken, too hopeless, because Jesus is at work in everything. Our world has, has brought into some of the same things as the Colossians had. Horoscopes, astrology, the occult, paranormal, all those things. Forces that, that told them and tell us too that, that we're hopeless to change things. That is the way things are destined to be, they tell us. But Paul says, you're right in thinking that there's something spiritual at work in this world, but Jesus is in charge of it all. He alone is Lord. He holds it all together. It's for him. And that applies to all of creation. And that includes the new creation as well, the church. Jesus is enough as the Lord of the church. Throughout scripture, there's there's these two, a two-pronged approach to understanding God's dealing with the world, right? There's a vertical and a horizontal. There's one that is that's between God and creation. And then there's another one that's between man and creation. Genesis itself, in the very beginning, the first 11 chapters focused on creation, right? God and creation, where the, the following up, chapter 12 through 50, are all about God and his people, the Israelites. The commandments, the first four, are about God and the people, where the, the remaining six are without are how we interact with the world. You see, there's a vertical and a horizontal. And so it makes sense that Paul would write in the same way, him being a, you know, a well-trained Jewish boy. Not only is Jesus the first in creation, he's the first in the new creation, the firstborn from the dead. That's the proof that he is head of the new creation, the church. Jesus, you see, wasn't the, the first person to rise from the dead, but he's the only one who never died, never died again. That puts him in first place, preeminent as the scripture refers to him. He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over the church. He is the source of redemption. He's enough to redeem. Paul writes it. He says, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I love that. All the fullness. It sounds so unnecessarily repetitive, right? But when you think about it, 
It's really a way of thinking that about the quantity and quality of God. All of God was in him. The fullness of God was in him. Paul was using a word that the false teachers used, fullness, you see. They, they used it to talk about how well, things that were li- lacking in the life of a real disciple. Paul used it to show that nothing is lacking in the work of Jesus. That he saves completely, totally. He had all the fullness of God's ability to save us. I mean, verse 13 and 14 that we read last week talked about it. It said when Paul wrote, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I mean, it was as though Satan held the world in a death grip of sin, and Jesus purchased us us back, it's a hard word to say, releasing us, just like a a terrorist. As, As though if we were being released from a terrorist by paying a ransom, we're free, we're set free. This idea of being ransomed that Paul was, was pointing back to it would have been something very familiar for the, 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 most of his listeners familiar with the, the, the Old Testament. A ransom that most in Colossae only knew could, could happen. Paul was saying, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. As he said, alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. He concludes this passage with a challenge to remember this, hold on to this, live this out. This message that has been proclaimed to you and is being proclaimed all over the world is at work. Believe this. It's a powerful reminder for the church in Colossae. Paul and in his most passionate voice, in fact, probably quoting a song that they were very familiar with, was seeking to draw them back to the truth that they heard at first. One that they would remember before the false teachers showed up, came in to confuse them with with extra things that they had to do to be real disciples. He wanted to remind them of just who Jesus is. And this is important for us as well. I mean, let's face it, how many of us get excited about prayer? I know many of us are excited to get back into our churches, to get back together as a church community. I mean, I've heard many of you say you're excited about that. But what about our time in prayer? What about our time studying God's Word? How exciting is that to us? I mean, let's face it, we're human. We need inspiration from time to time. I mean, I do. You do, probably. I mean, it's part of who we are. Paul understood that. And that's why these words here for us today in this particular passage, some of the most powerful in the New Testament, some of the most inclusive of who Christ is in the New Testament, he was writing to remind the church of the supremacy of Christ, that this is what we live for. The question remains for each of us is to have an answer on a regular basis. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? When I first met Michelle, she might be upset for me telling this story, but but she's not here tonight for me to, to stop me. But, but on our first few dates, she was always spilling things. I mean, seriously, like four or five times in a row, she would spill drinks and stuff. It was wild. Now, she's not a clumsy person at all. So instead of saying that we were in a crowded space, I tend to say that, that she was just nervous being around me. She was so flustered that, that she lost control, that, that I made her so nervous. I was so fantastic. I don't know if it's true, but it certainly helps my ego. 
but it is true when we get near to Jesus that he changes us. The closer we get, the, the more we change. The more we want to pray, the more we want to serve, the more we want to study his word. I could go on and on. But what it takes is seeing Jesus for who he really is. It gets us started. And that's what Paul's text is. One of those that draws us close. I ask you to read it again and to read it again. I mean, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can hit pause. Then hit the pause button right now and read that text again a couple times. It's inspiring. I found a video a few years ago by a great old preacher named uh, Reverend Lockridge. I love it and it inspires me. It really does. Uh, watch this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's 
as a football coach, I love great halftime speeches. And I mean, they get you pumped up. And that's what Reverend Lockridge's speech here was. It, it's like Paul's speech. And I pray you found these words to, today to, to, to clarify for you the identity of the true Messiah, one who has given and given and given and only ask you to receive it and believe it. If you've been moved today and, and you are moved to engage your faith, to seek to live moment by moment in worship, in the chat here with us, just type Jesus is enough for me. Just type that out in the comments there. Type Jesus is enough for me. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us that Jesus is enough for me. I mean, you can, right where you are, you can raise your hand and say, this is me. You can stand up and, and you can get down on your knees and pray this prayer with me. But let's just pray together right now. Lord God, thank you for Jesus, for who lived and died for us so that we could become the children you created us to be. Forgive me of my sin, God. I failed you. I failed myself. But you know that. And you love me anyway. Before I messed up, you loved me and you love me still. You love me then and you love me so much that you sent your son Jesus that I might be restored to you. Thank you, God, for that forgiveness. Thank you for giving me a new, a new life. I ask you to help me to live, to live for you, God. I give you my life. Use me for your glory, Lord. Keep me close. Send me your spirit to inspire me, to keep me full of your strength. For all that, God, I thank you. I love you. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family. I invite you to, to click on the link below me here that says, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to celebrate with you. I want to send you some resources to help you grow, walk in your faith because this, this walk is not that easy. You will need encouragement. You will need inspiration, just like these words from Paul from time to time. And I'd love to be able to help you with that. All right? God bless you. So before we leave, I invite you to, uh, if you would, to join me in our benediction. For you to know that life is much more than an accident. That wherever you go, to believe that God needs you there. That wherever you are, that you can trust that God has put you there. That he has a purpose for you being there. Christ alive in you, seeking to do something through you, no matter where you are. Believe this, and you go in his grace, and his love, and his power. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope to see you next Sunday as we gather outside at Wesley Chapel. Uh, it'll be a fantastic, beautiful day. Uh, if you're not able to gather with us, uh, if you're going to be watching, we're going to keep doing these online. So, uh, yeah, stay connected. All right. Keep seeking him. Go back and read that text again. OK, God bless you. We love you and we'll see you soon. OK.